Welcome to DST Radio, where we feature best-in-class insight and opinion from thought leaders and practitioners in the healthcare industry to help you stay informed to make the best decisions. This is DST Radio. I'm Greg Hersholt. My guest is Stephanie Leftwich, who's Director of Health Insurance Marketplace Strategy at DST Health Solutions. Stephanie, how are you today? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm great. We're happy to have you here. You've been with DST since 2005. You have over 20 years of healthcare industry experience on both the payer and the provider sides of the business. You've served in a variety of roles with these organizations. You're one of the leading experts on the implementation of the Affordable Care Act as it pertains to business processes. So I know folks with health plans will be interested with, to, with what you have to say. You've got a, BA, a BS in biology and an MPPM in healthcare management, so you are a lot smarter than I am. <laughs> I, I can don't know tell about you that, that right now. <laughs> Let's talk about uh, healthcare.gov and, uh, and what all the fuss is about. Let's Give me some insight on that. You know, that's what's been in the news the most. I think that's what got the tagline, and that's what got all the press about the website, the infamous healthcare.gov website. And and that's just a small piece of the puzzle to the Affordable Care Act. That is the website where people were allowed to go shop, shopping for health insurance that never had the opportunity before, for individuals to actually go out there and see what was available to purchase. Um, the healthcare.gov website, as we know, had lots of glitches, and uh, I think it was a lot of political fodder on along the way, but it, it turned out to actually be a pretty good tool. Um, they invested a lot of work in it from a CMS perspective to get it up and running, and people are using it actively to purchase health insurance that never had the opportunity before. Um, the enrollment numbers are, are around 8 million people were actually able to use that website to get health insurance. Let's talk about the health insurance marketplaces and, and who's impacted by that. Sure. Um, the healthcare.gov actually supports the health insurance marketplaces. The, the public marketplace is what's available out there for individuals who um, have availability for a tax credit, depending on their income level. The government subsidies may be available to help it make affordable for them to have health coverage. Um, they have the opportunity to go out and purchase insurance and then have that coverage effective for them as they go through and receive health care from that perspective. Is this free health care? I think some people view it that way. Is anything free in life? <laughs> well, not quite free. And, and it's a sliding scale. It depends on the premium that's available to you as well as your poverty level and your income level to get your subsidy amount. So some people have been able to find plans that are very affordable, that have very low cost, and some of them are no cost. But for the most of us, it is subsidized health care or affordable health care that you can purchase. So it's not really free. What are the subsidies? So there is two types of subsidies available depending on your poverty level. One of them is known as the Advanced Premium Tax Credit. We often shorten it to an acronym called APTC because we love acronyms in this business, <laughs> uh, just to confuse people. But what that is, is if you are between um, below 400% of the federal poverty level, you will receive a t subsidy to help pay a portion of your premium every month. Um, there's an additional subsidy that's called cost share reduction, which is the CSR, and that's for people that are below 250% of the poverty level. This will help subsidize your out-of-pocket expenses, so when you go to receive services, you don't have to pay as high a deductible or a high copay or coinsurance as people that are not in the same poverty level as you. 
Is this confusing for, for a lot of people? I mean, where do they go to just talk to somebody and get some help on all this? It is very complicated. Health insurance is one of the most complicated industries, I think, that's out there. And it's hard. Um, depending on where you are in the United States, if you are in a federal facilitated marketplace, you can call the healthcare.gov number and get help from a federal perspective. But there are 17 states who have state-based marketplaces. So look with your local um, hospitals, have a lot of people set up to help with you. Your clinics have a lot of people to set up with you um, to get information out. And you can always go to healthcare.gov to find out wh who to call to get help. What are the health plans seeing right now with, with uh, the population? A lot of excitement. I think a lot of people signed up early. I think a lot of people that were waiting for insurance had the opportunity to come in. And now it's like, now that we have insurance, what do we do with them? How do we take care of them? How do we get them to the right delivery channel? How do we make sure that they have good health care going forward? So people are seeing a lot of questions. The calls that are coming into the call centers, as you mentioned, are, are often longer than your typical call because it's more of an education call as opposed to just answer a quick question call. And the volumes. I, we were at the conference yesterday, and they were talking about you know triple volumes that people were calling in from other lines of business. So it, it's been a lot of uh, holding hands and, and helping people as they walk through this new path. I imagine customer services are a crucial part of all of this. Absolutely. Um, what what you do to service this member is really going to drive their decisions going forward. They, they are your member for this benefit year. Um, as you know, for insurance perspective, every year you can change your mind and enroll in a new plan. So the renewal prospect, you want to have some stickiness with these people to make sure that you service them well, keep them happy from a customer satisfaction perspective. And that way, when it comes time to pick a plan this November, they will pick you as opposed to one of your competitors. It's very continuity of care. It's very important to keep this membership going forward. And you want to have that population satisfied as they make their decisions next year. So customer service is probably a key to making this business work. It is one of the key points, uh, one of the most key points. I mean, obviously, you know, giving them good service, but being able to manage the customer is probably one of the key points of this whole deal. Now, of course, we're just kind of in the first year of all this. How do you envision the customer service aspect of this evolving next year? I think they'll be a lot better trained, a lot better prepared. This year, nobody knew what to expect. Nobody knew how many people to staff for. Nobody knew what kinds of questions were coming in. Um, we learned at the conference earlier that people were having to hire people and train people at the last minute, and they were not prepared for the volumes and the types of calls and questions. So next year, we do anticipate that people have learned some lessons from this year. Hopefully, we get smarter as we go along. And that will help them drive and strive for better customer service in the 2015 plan year. Do you find with, you know, the media coverage out there that the good stories aren't told as often as the bad stories? It depends which media you're watching. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Very good answer. <laughs> there are some media outlets that are doing some of the good stories. And, and there are some really good ones out there. You see the stories um, of people that, you know, have been waiting for health insurance for years that have a chronic condition that have not had treatment or access to care. They've been self-medicating, and, and their, their health has been really, and their life has been impacted. So there are those real good feel-good stories. However, there are also some stories where it did have a negative impact on people because that's the nature of the beast. People that were able to get 
fairly cost-effective insurance plans that weren't necessarily as robust as what you have available in the marketplace because part of the Affordable Care Act legislation is they wanted to level the playing field. So when you go out to shop for insurance, apples and oranges is not a conversation. You're comparing apples to apples. So when I go to buy from Health Plan A, it's the same coverage I get from Health Plan B. No, none of these hidden costs, none of the fine print to trick you. So I think that that's one of the, the main things that people are learning about is that, you know, the, the press, you have to take it with a grain of salt. Um, there is good stories and there are bad stories. Um, overwhelmingly, I think the direction is that this is here to stay. Um, I don't think that the legislation is going to be repealed. Most of the focus now is on how to improve it, how we can make it better. And I think that's a good direction for us to go. Um, we need to make sure that we learn from some of our mistakes and look at some of the gaps and be able to fill those in going forward. All of this has also meant a tremendous uh, influx in new business for the health plans more on the way, undoubtedly. I'm wondering how, how this, the health plans have, have handled this new business. And it's great business for them. I know one of the um, CBO projections says that, you know, right now we're sitting at 8 million people. By 2017, they're projecting 25 million people. So, you know, that's that's a threefold plus increase in population that's going to be in the health insurance marketplaces and that the health insurance companies have to be able to staff for and take care of. And it's a different type of population, as we mentioned before. Some of these people are coming in that are new to health insurance, so they need a different level of service than people that are more insurance savvy. So you have to have the right staffing, the right service model. Um, some of the young millennials that are coming in, as they call them today, or they, they have a different need. They don't necessarily necessarily want to talk to a customer service person, but they want to look something up on their smartphone. They want to be able to be in touch and have that kind of communication from a web perspective and maybe not call somebody. But somebody is an early retiree who's in their late 50s, they want that, that human touch. They want that phone call. So to be able to staff appropriately for the type of population and to connect to your customer, to connect to your, your member in that way is what people need to be planning for today. So let's look ahead to next year, the second year of this. Uh, presumably, we've gotten the initial kinks and bugs worked out, as many as possible. What do you anticipate for 2015? I think in 2015, we will see more of what we saw last year. I think a lot of the initial kinks are worked out. And I think that people, more people are going to sign up. I think a lot of people heard the buzz and a lot of people waited. Um, the, the tax penalty for this year was $95 or 1% of your income, whichever is higher. The, the penalty goes up to next year to, I believe, it's 325 and 2% of your income. So it's a little stiffer penalty. Um, some of these people that set out this year intentionally have more incentive to join next year. Um, but the people that are renewing for next year, I think that they have an opportunity to have the experience of this year to figure out what they want from their business going forward, what they want their health plan to do for them. And as I said, you know, from a renewal perspective, if they're happy with their current plan, that'll be great. They'll be able to sign back up in November and keep going. But otherwise, it gives an opportunity to look and see what they want, see what kind of health plan they want, see what kind of coverage they want, and how to better service them and their families. One of the things I've certainly learned here with, with talking to you and others is that risk management is so important for the health insurance marketplaces. I'm wondering, how can a health plan better manage their risk? That is the, probably, you know, the, the $64,000 question, as they say, because uh, this business is, is a whole new type of risk. Um, historically, insurers were able to protect themselves by doing uh, what they called medical underwriting, in that if you told me on your application that you like to go skydiving and you smoke two packs of cigarettes, I would charge you more premium for that because you're sure, a high risk. Yeah. You understand that you're more likely to receive medical care. Whereas if, you know, maybe I filled out my application and says, you know, I'm an avid swimmer, I'm a runner, and, 
and, you know, I have my BMI is, you know, within the acceptable levels, that's a different medical risk. Well, the Affordable Care Act took all of that medical underwriting science away. Um, everybody is rated on the same rules. Um, everybody's rated the same whether you're on or off the marketplace. So you can be rated on your age. You can be rated on, in some states, your tobacco use indicator, your geographical region, so things like that. So the, the risk is definitely in a different perspective. And it's you had to sign everybody up before people that had pre-existing conditions were denied coverage. If you filled out your application and said, you know, I have asthma, lots of people were denied coverage because that was considered a medical risk. Today, under the Affordable Care Act, everybody has to get that coverage coming in. So you have to be able to target this population early. You have to be able to do health risk assessments to, when they sign up to find out what conditions that they have, what treatments that they have. You know, look at your medical data because, you know, you as a patient, you know, do you really like to go to the doctor? Uh, um, <laughs> no. But if you have a prescription <laughs> and you and you need that prescription, you know, you probably would go get that prescription filled before you would go to the doctor, right? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. looking at that prescription data, looking at that pharmacy data, you kind of know without even seeing the doctor that you have some kind of medical condition. And based on what that prescription is, you can determine what kind of disease or condition that is and then weigh the medical risk associated with that to know how better to treat and manage your care. Mm -hmm. So it's just one of those data analytics and analytics and data is very important in this risk management perspective on the health insurance marketplace. Reporting is a key thing. Reporting, absolutely, and, and intelligent data. Mm -hmm. So I guess you've probably answered my question, and that is why data is everybody's so fascinated by the data right now. Absolutely, absolutely. DST works very closely with John Hopkins University, and uh, one of the, Dr. Weiner has done a presentation recently where I was at a conference, and he was talking about that the United States is so data-rich in the medical world. Countries are very envious about how much data that we have available to us because we have that. We have diagnoses. We have when you went to the doctor and what they did to you, whether you got lab work or x-rays, all of those results. And all of that data, you need to be able to determine how to treat this population, to be able to identify trends that are going to come out, to be able to help maybe even ward off some, some troubling care. You know, if they are getting early signs of diabetes, get them into a disease management program so you can get better care for them and kind of ward off some of the more serious chronic conditions. So what you're saying is data equals good business. Absolutely. <laughs> the key. Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> Why can't everybody use the same format when it comes to reporting? Well, unfortunately, um, everybody has their own rules. So each state-based marketplace, as I mentioned, has their own rules about how they want the data formatted and how they want it to look. And part of that is how, what they're going to do with the data going forward. Um, the federal perspective has their own rules as well. They have what's known as the edge server um, that you have to put your data in, and it's a unique format. Then they're state-based as well. So it's a very challenge, and it's very cumbersome for the health plans to actually take the same data and reformat it just to make it look like something else for somebody that needs it in a unique way. But that's part of the beast. That's part of the, the business that we're in. Where are the places that the marketplaces are working most successfully? You know, it, it's it very regions, um, varies, varies regionally for sure. Um, there are lots of states that have gotten lots of attention because of their success in their population. Um, Kentucky um, has been one of the most successful, and they are a state-based marketplace. And I was at a session yesterday where they were speaking about it, and part of their success is because they, they – 
attribute it to collaboration, to collaboration at their government level, at their Medicaid level, and be able to work together to make this work from that perspective. You've also heard some really good press from um, other state-based marketplaces like Cover California. Cover California sunk in a lot of money in advertising Cover California. They, they were able to enroll a lot of people in Medi-Cal, which is their Medicaid program, as well as getting people into the marketplace. So they have been very successful. Um, there are even some federal states that have been very successful, even though they're on the federal marketplace itself. So it just depends on where you are. Um, we have all heard the press of some of the states that are struggling. You know, we've heard of Oregon that's having a really hard time. Part of that was an IT vendor problem. I think some of that may have also been some leadership um, challenges there. I know that there's other states like Maryland, um, and you see that reflected in the population. So if people couldn't get that, that state-based marketplace to work for them, they weren't able to enroll. Mm -hmm. So we are working through now several states that are looking for alternatives, um, either other vendors, software vendors, or maybe even going to back to the federal marketplace to let them support it next year going forward. You had mentioned earlier that there were a lot of consumers that were taking a wait-and-see approach before deciding to jump in and get involved in the system. I imagine there were probably a few states that kind of held back on the marketplace concept. And do you expect more states to perhaps get involved that, that are not right now? Yeah, I think that that's one of the very political hot potatoes right now. I think that from what we've seen, we work very closely with some um, consultants inside the Washington, uh, Washington Beltway. Um, I don't know that anybody's going to jump next year, um, simply because it's very political-driven, um, and it's a 2014 election year for the Senate uh, race. So I think that a lot of them are taking a wait to see. We have a couple of, and in fact, when the CMS received no filings of anybody that's going to be a state-based marketplace next year. Um, but we do have a couple of them that are looking to do it probably in the 2017 year for the most part. Um, some of them, I think, are, are waiting to see how things kind of shake out once more and more people enroll and once you get that in population available on the marketplace. As they say in radio, stay tuned. <laughs> we'll see how it works out. Thanks for your time today. Thank you. Interesting stuff. Stephanie Leftwich is the Director of Health Insurance Marketplace Strategy for DST Health Solutions. You're listening to DST Radio. Thank you for listening to DST Radio. For more information or questions, contact DST Health Solutions at 800-272-4799 or email us at marketing at dsthealthsolutions.com.